okay, so it's the idea of optimal distance for each okay. of the instincts. And there's a close and a distant variation for all the instincts. They can make somebody who's dominant, you know, like a, a dominant social type very in, in one person, very different from a dominant social type, social instinct in another person. And even of the same type or different types or whatever. The white thing cannot be overstated. The racial element to dating is something that I've had to come to terms with. How social perceptions or social instincts interfere with sexual selection. Yes. The big hormone Enneagram. I'm John Lukovich, 415, sexual self-prez, 458 trifix. I'm David Gray, self-prez sexual, 9 with one wing, 974 trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self-prez with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I'm a 3 wing 4, self-prez social, 369 trifix. Hi, I'm Alexandra, I'm a social self-preservation, 9 wing 1, 963 trifix. If you like or hate us, make sure you go like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you leave us a review. Welcome to the Emika and John Enneagram Show. This is what happens when your friends desert you and think they got more important shit to do than to sit around and talk about the Enneagram. This is what you get. You get two social blind hexatypes trying to have a conversation. We actually ended up having, yeah, we actually ended up having a pretty interesting conversation. You know, this is what happens when I don't have to hear David or Nancy or Alexandra yapping all the time. You get to hear, I get to really hear myself. That's the really important thing about this show is to hear myself. So before we get into this amazing show that we had, let me hit you with our usual plugs. The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, John's book, if you've been living under a rock and you're not aware of the only instinctual Bible in existence, you need, to, you need to get on Amazon or wherever you buy books from, you can find John's book on the instincts. Secondly, Josh and John started an Enneagram school earlier this year, their first course getting into the object relations, Josh's new object relational theory of the centers. It's a six-part course. They even get into trifix. It's, what's really unique about the school is that it's creating a community of people who not only want to learn the Enneagram, but how to work with the Enneagram for inner work. So check that out at theenneagramschool.com. And in DAA, Dark Arts Academy, you want to become dangerously perceptive and skilled at being able to see the types clearly. Because, I mean, what's the point of knowing the Enneagram, if you're just mistyping people left and right, if you can't tell what type your boss is, your, your partner, or knowing people in your family, what's the point of knowing the Enneagram if you can't use it, apply it to the people in your life correctly? Recently, we've been looking at some trifixes. We've done Bermuda and DJ. Uh, we did a class recently on um, Jim Morrison. That was interesting. And uh, we've got a class coming up soon on Flatline 359 Trifix. We're also announcing that we're going to finally start a Discord server for DAA. Uh, so if you're a member of DAA, be, look, be on the lookout for an email about that coming up soon. Um, and if you have been typed by us, um, you can get all this information at anygrammar.com. You want to understand your typing better. Uh, the DAA library has so many classes that compares and contrast different types, different fixes, different instinctual stacking. So you can get a whole education uh, from our past video, uh, from our library of content. And then we've got David's Trifix booklet. It's a illustrative archetypal um, exploration of the Trifixes. It's got an intro by John. It's, it's got some interesting images. David's razzle-dazzle descriptions are there. Um, lots of people enjoy it. You can get, you can get it at anygrammar.com forward slash store. And then Alexandra is the world's leading and only uh, Enneagram and astrology expert. She's got a website, Saturn Ruled 9, Saturn Ruled number 9.com. 
where you can uh, book a session to explore in what ways your astrological chart and Enneagram typing combine. All right, I think that's it. So uh, enjoy the show. Emika and John, you're very welcome. What else do you need in life besides just two of us? Who are we kidding? Yeah, you know, the cultural thing is really important because, I mean, we've touched on it different ways, but there's just so many ways that, uh, like, you know, nine, for example, being adaptable, they're going to adapt to the culture they're in. And so if Americans are very conflict avoidant and, like, easily get their feathers ruffled and, you know, like, Americans for as belligerent and re- kind of in, in a certain attitudinal style they are, uh, they're also like deeply unprepared for anybody to say no to them. And so uh, you you do learn that just to kind of be polite is a way to get, you know, just to not shock everybody's nervous system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the Middle East, in Latin con- countries, in Africa, I assume, um, it's just uh, people aren't so like, don't tremble so much mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like... A, a boundary or a direct statement doesn't like seemingly uh, penetrate them and then like obliterate them. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Yeah. And you've talked about this with the instincts and different like weather patterns and what the warm yeah. temperatures, how that might influence the way people, uh, what relationship people have to certain instincts. And I wonder, um, I saw something the other day about capitalism and the nuclear family. How, you know, like, I, I mean, I think we had a discussion about like parenting and how it, it seems like such a daunting task because it's, it's a lot for a couple right. to, to handle. Whereas, I mean, I, growing up in Nigeria, like it, it's just normal that you're around so many people, you're around your grandma, you're around, you know, your uncles and aunts. Uh, we had two maids. It's not uncommon to have maids because... Um, like they were kind of like distant cousins who my dad was paying through Mm. school. And so while my parents were at work, I had like these two young, you know, teenage girls who were helping raise us. So it was just like, it felt like there was just so many people to help. And so when you think about parenting, it's, it's a, in most places in the world, it's a community job. It's not just like a nuclear family. So in the West, you have this idea of a nuclear family and it's all on these two people to, to raise this person. Um, yeah, like capitalism and cold weather and how that changes the way people relate to each other, like the the white West way of being yeah. is so different. Totally. It's so fucking different that um I it took me a long time to realize this, just how uh some of the issues that I've had in dating is just like this not understanding that yeah. there isn't any sort of concept of real talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually been very helpful. You, you, you mentioned that one time the white people don't have real talk, uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that is that. There's some that was some key for me to understand, mm-hmm. and uh, to be like, I remember I, I was explaining to somebody, a white guy, a white friend of mine, about this because I was like, "We need to be able to have a real talk conversation," you know, right. <laughs> but right. we don't even have the like the idea of it <laughs> yeah yeah you know? so yeah totally <laughs> i mean there's a kind of like a cultural clash with our group because yeah, totally you, yeah like there are multiple angles you can look at this but the, like sort of the green uh level approach of the enneagram where it's like your subjective experience of yourself is valid and 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 to sort of like bring a yes your subjective experience is valid but there is also kind of an objective structure to this thing right. And how that can be so jarring to people to tell tell them, hey, you are this type here, or you are this, we see you as this type based on these observations. That that in itself, it's not saying we're telling you who you are. You can decide to be whoever the fuck you are. But the fact that I'm invalidating your subjective experience with my observations is like a crime to so many people. Yeah, And we, you know, it took people a long time to get used to us, but I mean... For a long time, the not a fourth thing was just like a, a, a sense of people feeling like we were invalidating their personhood. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's cultural. Um, I think we have a lot of mm-hmm. international fans that don't have that issue, like people from Europe, 
I mean, of course, people still have this issue, but it feels like, you know, Middle Easterns and and uh, Europeans that I've talked to don't are very more comfortable with our sort of bluntness. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what what I yeah exactly yeah I agree. And what I was speaking to a little bit before with like, all right, like if if nine is super adaptable, yet all these textbooks define nine as like super conflict avoidant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like I've, I've like, I've, I've coached people all over the world, different cultures and stuff and not, not a, you know, not like every, you know, huge sampling, but in, like yeah. enough. And, you know, in some cultures, nines are super conflict avoidant, but in others, um, they're adapting and like, you know, they're, uh, what is What is What are Josh and I's way of speaking? It's like, uh, you know that that uh, the exogenous influence just is in there in their yeah. system. Uh, yeah, they're they're just not. They're very direct. They're very blunt and whatever. And so it kind of is like, how do you define nine in a way that applies to all nines all over the world? Like, yeah. what is what is nineness <clears throat> apart from the way it expresses itself through a cultural filter? Yeah, it's because I think you mentioned something about how if. Uh, people are really sensitive to real talk in this part of the world, then the nines are going to reflect that because the nines sort of are, are representing the equilibrium for any social space mm-hmm. because yeah. whatever might destabilize the dynamic is what a nine will avoid doing. So if the dynamic, cause I mean, if you go to like a Nigerian party, like the, the volume level is so many decibels higher, <laughs> you know? So like if yeah. you put a nine in that environment, it's like the level of chaos yeah. or, um is is it's that they feel more that they can say and do whatever they want without like being out of the norm right, right. so um you experience nines from you take a nine from that part of the world and you compare them to a nine from the west and it's like how is that the same type because, i mean even a nine in new york versus a nine in like uh there you go <laughs> minnesota you know <laughs> yeah east coast versus like midwest or west coast like right. So that's something I think about a lot. I was thinking about, you know, with respect to the instincts and how, uh, you know, like I, I do think that you're born with your type and so forth, but there's a huge environmental cultural aspect to this that where, for example, the other day I was just thinking how insane it is, like something that people who were born here will never really ever really understand is that regardless of how poor you are, you always have access to food. Uh-huh. You, you always have access to more than enough food in this country. Like you can't starve. You can go to a food bank and get a box of free groceries. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much, there's so much abundance that, I mean, let me like to help you understand, like growing up in Nigeria, we were middle-class, but middle-class in Nigeria, in some ways is still poorer than poor in the u.s in terms of your access to just food so like growing up in nigeria i mean like what we would eat is like um my mom would make like a soup that like you know the soup that you've had Mm -hmm. make a huge batch of it and then make like a stew and then every day you're either eating some pounded thing not like pounded yam pounded yam is like luxury Mm. but some other pounded thing that's not i love that (laughs) fufu yeah pounded fufu or something and then rice uh-huh. And you get like one because you'd have like lunch would be like maybe peanuts and water at school. Breakfast would be like the Mai Mai, but like not as mm-hmm. tasty as the shit that you had. Mm-hmm. So just think about like those are basically two meals, two and a half meals. And the meal that you have is just like rice or fufu. And it's not great. Like that's mm-hmm. that's it. That's all you get. Mm-hmm. So this idea of snacks and like, yeah social events are a big deal weddings birthday parties because that's when you really get to eat that's when they they kill a chicken you Mm, get more meat mm -hmm. like all the meat that you would see would be like like a little ounce yeah you know of meat per day and that's all the meat and so coming here it's like a huge culture shock just to see the abundance of food and i just remember like when my uncles would come back from the states or from the Europe and they'd bring back snacks and they'd bring back like peanut butter and jelly uh-huh. <laughs> and like peanut butter and jelly. Cause you, you get access to a snack like that. You're just like eating as fast as you can. Yeah. Because you, like you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even till this day, there is 
there is like a deep rooted appreciation for food that I cannot explain. I know you've really you know, got like <laughs> you and still... David <laughs> when you when you guys look at a menu, it is like uh, it is an event. <laughs> well, but here's the thing: because David is a self-pressed type, so that makes sense for him. But for me, it's like there is kind of like a fixation here that will never go away. Where because of my life experience, that um, it doesn't matter as long as I'm in this country, I will never feel poor, in the sense yeah. that. The fact that I can go to Trader Joe's or some fucking grocery store and buy pretty much what I want, like, and they're, they're, like, I was like, I don't know what I was eating the other day. I was just like, oh my God, this is so good. Yeah. And it's like, I'm 39. I, it's still like that every single time. And that's because like, I know what it's like to not have that ever yeah, <laughs> for 10 totally. years, you know? Yeah. So I was thinking how there can be, depending on what you're, you know, how you grew up there can be a certain, I don't want to say fixated, but a certain relationship to the instincts. No, I, I totally, absolutely you know? <clears throat> agree with you. And I, I think there can be, you know, it gets really nuanced because I think people could easily, you know, one of the, one of the things we always see when we, we talk about type with people, especially people who are struggling to come to their own type. And, you know, you're maybe seeing this instinct or that type really clearly in them and they're not seeing it. Um, is that, terminology and concepts like when you don't have like a really solid grasp of them can mm -hmm. easily be like reappropriated for basically whatever your agenda is so for example if you want to see yourself as a four you'll take oh i'm very uh idiosyncratic and you'll yeah. just run with that own version of it because in some ways everybody is but it right. has it's held in a different way in a type four version, you know whatever so like one of the things I want to talk about when everybody's on the pod is the idea of like how we make a religion out of our dominant instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like a lot of that so-called religious influence like gets in there super early, mm -hmm. you know, what, given the, the vibe of our early milieu, you know, our, our yeah. early holding environment. And, like, I don't feel like I've had enough exposure to just sexual types in general to have a very good sense of how that might happen Yeah. Um, in the sexual instinct. But like in social and self-pres, I can see it much more clearly because yeah. there's so much more samples where like, you know, there are some social types that are super warm and personal and personable and like to be around people and engage. There's others that are really withdrawn and aloof and you know, cold, some, some social types seem to be more about like their position or standing rather than actual connection. Yeah. Some are much like could not give a shit about their position and are just very connection in person oriented. Yeah. Some, I mean, like Alexandra is, uh, as a social type is like very, uh, more like removed in a, in a lot of ways. And then like in private, you know, we call her love monster, you know, she's like <laughs> yeah, right. needs a, like, I thought, you know, fours, some, some circles associate four with like intimacy yeah, and, yeah. and I like, I get that. Cause there's a whole heart thing that's very personal. Right. But, uh, Alexandra is her social nineness is intimacy monster. Like she just, yeah. she wants the intimacy so bad. And is, it's all about that. And it's just really funny because, I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but, um, you know, with like a, with like a social nine, like a lot of social <clears> nines <throat> end up settling for a kind of like a lack of intimacy, basically, because mm. it's like, like the attachment, like to keep the, the connection, I like, I can't go for what I really want is like what the real, what sloth kind of represents. So I'll, mm. I'll settle for this. Right. Right. And so it's an interesting <clears throat> thing, like in, in just considering you know, whether it's cultural, whether it's individual, whatever, uh, this way that the expression of instinct is so much, on one hand, it's so obvious, but on the other hand, it's so nuanced. Right, right. And requires uh, a lot of unpacking of our assumptions of not only how the instincts work, but how human beings work. Yeah. You know, you're speaking to families, and, you know, one of the things that came up was like i got really i've always been a little political because of my my dad's profession you know right but i got really like more like systems political because uh of the research i did for the instinct book 
And I was just reading all the stuff about human beings before agriculture and how prehistoric humans lived and what they adapted and how they spent their time. And it was like, it was shocking to read over and over again um, just how basically like laid back and fucking all the time and <laughs> interconnected, you know, not maybe all humans, but like, I mean, most humans for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years lived in very tight-knit groups where there was a lot of shared sexuality and shared parenting, which is called alloparenting. So your mm. point about nuclear family. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, a lot of, I know I'm, I'll shut the fuck up in a second, but <laughs> it's all good. The, uh, a lot of anthropologists studied chimps and other kinds of, uh, primates to understand human, um, how human, you know, human parenting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they, they were kind of like looking at the wrong apes because one thing is that chimps do is like when it, when, you know, you see those baby chimps that are clinging to their right, mothers. Right. Uh, Humans don't do that, and humans actually show a parenting system more like um, a, a certain kind of gibbon, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> you know, like very not human-like ape, but like yeah. where the gibbons will let other other mothers hold their children and kind of like mm. co-parents and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that in the way that like, like um, I don't know, just the human nervous system operates. It's like humans are just like you were you were kind of earlier kind of getting down on yourself about not being more proactive on things or on top or hustling more or something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Humans did not fucking hustle as much (laughs) as we like to pretend they did. So yeah, there's just, it's so much, so many variables and the, the container that we're in culturally now really fucks with our quote unquote natural instincts. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of directions to go there, but uh, I do remember, I don't know if you remember this, but you had posted something in the old BHE chat about like uh this these different variable relationships to the instincts i think like uh with the sexual instinct like uh close i might have it saved somewhere. yeah i remember something like that let me let me look that up because cool. i, I want to read it um because i thought it was i wondered if you would include it in your book but it probably didn't no i don't think i did make it probably didn't make it but um i think people have always kind of questioned or there've been multiple theories posed about um like you know those different stackings or different variations on the stackings mm. and I, I don't necessarily think that anyone had anything that was really good but i think what you came up with at least um was kind of a beginning of something that could be used like a close versus distant um oh, variation I, yeah, on yeah, something like that let me see if i can find it so i'm definitely on a distant side so it's like it feels like I can do, all right, we come together and we have this thing and it's great. And then I need you to get the fuck away from me. Like I need distance. And so there's this back and forth, the back and forth. And so for someone who's codependent, it just creates more codependency. Yeah. Um, there is this sense of being needed from a distance that I've been figuring out, like, you know, like being able to provide something, but not joined at the hip. Yeah. Um, that's my optimal distance. Like, I want you to kind of want me a few days a week, you know, like to really need me a few days a week. I don't want you to need me seven days a week. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, way yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah. So what, I feel stupid asking this, but can you, what is, what is the idea that I had that we're okay, like, all right. cause I think, cause there's things that are coming up, but I, I want to kind of frame it. On, okay. Okay. All right. Let me, I found my notes. So, um, what, Emma could tell me my idea. <laughs> the social drives. So some people optimal. Okay. So it's the idea of optimal distance for each okay. of the instincts and all right, maybe I'll just read this whole thing. Um, yeah, it's it's funny just like how watching sort of how your knowledge about this stuff evolved because you were figuring it out and you were just dumping all this stuff on forums. Uh, so like your your like sexual instinct definition has changed over the years. Mm, so, it's, mm-hmm. but you know, some of them I like better than some of the ones you're using. So it's interesting how the different ways you frame it. It's just depending on the language. Yeah, what, sometimes I frame it differently than like I actually think because mm-hmm. I know the way that I present it is going to be misunderstood. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's always like kind of a, a funny thing because I know like I'm overemphasizing certain things because I'm like, right. well, this is the only way that somebody who's like sexual blind mm-hmm. will understand sexual instinct versus how maybe I might understand it in my own whatever. 
All right. So when object relations color are instinctual drives, is my sense that each instinct will be related to a particular stage in ego development, and it will be trying to work out through work out through adult relationships. And so for sexual drive is not a mellow interpersonal fusion drive. Any aim or effort to fuse or lose oneself is quickly met by a desire to separate again, followed by a drive to fuse, followed by a drive to separate, etc. So the social drive becomes constellated about around the achievement of optimal distance, a compromise a young child makes when they are close enough to be in relationship with mom and get their love and help and yet separate enough to be effect, reflected by her and maintain acceptable acceptance, distance and independence from her. So for some people, optimal distance is quite impersonal and remote. For others, it translates into a closeness and care. I think this is why some people strong and social can seem really impersonal while others can seem, seem more towards warm and intense. So you're going to attach to someone who corresponds to your inner map of how close or distant and what kind of emotional affect was present when we negotiated optimal distance. I think this is one of the most important things I don't, I'm not sure why you haven't developed this further because I'm like, it's just a pretty big deal. Is that, For, all right, so I'm on that document. Is this on? If you page? just search optimal distance, you'll find it. Okay. All right. Some people, okay. Yeah, I got it. So for sexual, the drive to find one's novel energizing ends up attracting us to the kinds of people who recapitulate, recapitulate. our history. It's the same old shit in disguise of novelty. Uh, where do you talk about the close and the distant variations of sexual, but it's kind of the same idea. Like there's a close and a distant variation for all the instincts. And yeah, maybe, maybe I can like break down for, for the pod listeners, like some of what I'm talking, what this is. And then maybe you can find the thing that I actually said yeah. those things on. Yeah. 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 So, um, Yes, this is like, you know, when I was writing my book, I just came up with a bunch of ideas and only if, you know, only some got back into the book and a lot didn't. And I I wanted to focus in the book more on like the overarching relationship of the instincts to the to inner work and and to the the overall type structure. And I didn't get as I didn't get as typey as as maybe I should have, but I just was like exhausted. So. Uh, yeah, this is a, th- this is an idea that, um, you know, in my book, I talk about how the instincts develop according to different psychological stages mm-hmm. and that the way those stages are navigated or resolved can result in somewhat different expressions or preferences around the, in- the instincts that can make somebody who's dominant you know, like a, a dominant social type very in, in one person, very different from a dominant social type, social instinct in another person. And even of the same type or different types or whatever. This, <laughs> this would be worth doing an entire episode on. I think it's, it's, uh, people would really enjoy it. And there's, unless you have any plans for it, but this, this would be, yeah, I think this would be a good kick in my butt anyway. For the sexual drive, it's not a mellow interpersonal fusion drive. Any aim or effort to fuse or to lose oneself is quickly met by the drive to separate again. Oh, I so, think I already read that. Yeah, I, what, I was actually, somebody recently asked me, uh, what's the difference between nines merging yeah. and sexual instinct merging? And um, I was kind of, it was a good question and I answered it based on, you know, like Josh and I's theory of the way that, you know, uh, nine gets washed out by their environment versus the sexual drive to like throw down boundaries that are, you know, that, that, that reconstitute themselves once again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like a thing that like, you know, she, she sent me an article, some other Enneagram teacher had written that was like, the merging in the sexual instinct is like getting really involved in a piece of music. <laughs> you know, things like this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You okay. know, it was another, it's just like ter- turning sexual into an intensity or passion drive, but right. Uh, but yeah, this like uh, this thing that will be important for anybody to to understand is like sexual is yeah. There's a drive to merge and fuse, but it's like immediately coupled by a drive to separate. Yeah. So it's very much like uh, you know the the intensity to have an orgasm, and then you're like you know post my clarity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think the part that I was looking for, I don't think I have in this document. It was uh, I think I'd asked you a question and you responded and I saved it somewhere else. So let me read that. So, yes, the sex, some sexual are more fusiony, some are more separation oriented. Fusion wants to fuse, sometimes less intense, more sensual, more seductive. 
Mm. And then some are more separation, activation oriented. You use yourself an example. And then uh, <laughs> socials, some are highly warm and interpersonal, optimal distance for a close distance, and some are remote and impersonal, very hierarchical, political, elite. Um, it's yeah. how object relations were negotiated, and no matter the stack, it shows up in all instincts. And so I, I find that really interesting. Maybe there's something that we can design based on this yeah. uh, to help people figure out what they're you know, what their optimal distance for each of the instincts. But I was thinking in my last relationship that what was weird was like, you know, so like each relationship has its own instinct stacking or instinct because of the relationship between those two people creates some weird uh, meeting point or whatever. And I was thinking how like that relationship became very self-present in the sense that you know, she's self-pressed, she's, she's self-pressed blind, but there was this kind of like, I want to just saturate in appetite, food, mm. music, and sex, and not go anywhere. And I have this sort of self-pressy mm, food, like, you know, thing. <laughs> and so that, that was one thing, aspect of that relationship that worked really well was this kind of like, we could just this is a self-pressed blind person who just wants to just sit at home and just eat and fuck and, and, you know, just consume food. And it, it like, it felt very self-pressy. And I was just thinking about how, you know, regardless of one's instinct stacking, there can be uh, certain instincts that get overemphasized for whatever reason, for whatever life, you yeah. know, experience that one might have. And then you get into a relationship with someone who, where you link up in that way and it that relationship takes on that instinct even though that's not i mean i'm not self-pressed type and she's not a self-pressed type either so that i thought that was interesting i think um yeah like i've known some self-pressed blinds who are real like food oriented and what i think is going on at least in some of these people is that there, there's just like the so you know being self-pressed blind. There's not a lot of self-holding. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, there's not a lot of self-holding, and so f like food becomes something that represents holding and care and relationship. And so, um, you know, I know somebody who's self-pressed blind who eats expensive you know a lot of right. food with a lot of service and stuff like this and they are always complimenting the like the kind of care that the place gives and provides and stuff and i think it's mm -hmm. like it's like um you know especially when it's food that is not prepared themselves mm. uh i think that the someone else preparing it and offering it it's like very much it's 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 nourishment very much tied into relationship rather than nourishment kind of about managing the body in some way mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so i've noticed that with some yeah like like there's this, this kind of oh this is another way holding is provided you know yeah. in the way, from other people though that's kind of like a there's yeah. like a little bit of baby bird with the mouth open kind of thing right right going on yeah that's that's a big part of it. i was just while you were speaking i think i just realized something that um you know, chemistry is this weird organism that gets created between two people. And it's kind of like trying to find what parts of you hook into this other person. You're, at least my, my personality is trying to figure out, like, how do we link up? Like, what are the activating points for us? And so looking at this description thing that you wrote, like, it would seem to me that if two people are attracted to each other or they experience chemistry, that it's a an alignment with a certain relationship or optimal distance to a certain instinct. So let's say I meet someone, you know, like my last relationship, someone who's self-pressed blind, maybe because we both have the comfort seeking indulgent relationship to self-pres, that's where we sort of, you know, mm. that's where mm. all the blood goes, to, you know, the blood yeah, goes yeah, to, yeah. to this aspect yeah. of our dynamic because we both are aligned in that way. Maybe we have oppositional relationship to the sexual instinct and that's where we have conflict and so the relationship then takes on a more self-pres focus because this is where we both reinforce each other yeah that's yeah that's gets yeah because uh 
Another thing that I had thought about and kind of worked on just a little bit was, you know, like love languages, like touch mm-hmm, or whatever. Yeah. I think that there's probably more than that that are based on instinct that can be discerned. And so, yeah, so for for listeners, I guess, like this early idea I had was that you see some people use their self-pres, and I don't just mean self-pres dominance, but like some people using their self-pres instinct, and it's got more of a independent survivalist DIY um, kind of thing. And uh, some are more about like holding and comfort and indulgence and sensuality and things like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people might argue, oh, that's self-press social versus self-press sexual. But I don't think so. I don't I think, think so. I've seen uh, some very sensual self-press socials and, a, you know, very uh, like literal survivalist self-press sexuals. Right. Um, and then with uh, the sexual instinct, there's some some sexual instinct that's this quality of being more. Uh, fusiony mm-hmm. and others more separation, and so right. fusion wants to be more like connected, but it's not social. Uh, I'm trying to like. There's a sensual. There's a more. Uh, the tone is not as sharp, and I think a lot of. Um, I do think as I've gotten to know sexual social better, I That's see a lot of sexual social in this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, there's more. It's more like a like an atmosphere of sparkliness or something like this mm-hmm. versus uh sexual that's more um separation oriented but it's also more like penetrating and then you know activated and it's more of like the it's more the uh the the yang element of yeah of sexual the social aspect of dating is far stronger than anything else mm. and so race is I saw a video the other day that drove this point home for me because I still can't even hold on to this, but there was like a lineup of like six guys. So they had a lineup of six girls and a lineup of six guys. And so they asked the girls or they asked the guys to rate themselves. So the guys rated themselves kind of based on like who was in best shape or who was tall. And so the first three guys were like pretty muscular uh, and dressed pretty decent. And the last three guys were like nerdy dweebs whatever and i looked at the list and i was like yeah i would maybe make one little change but generally yeah that's when you look at guys you're like he's more built he's taller whatever like i would put him ahead of the other guy objectively it seems more attractive yeah so then the girls rated the guys and the the lineup was completely different the Mm. first guy was i mean there was a very there were different races there the first guy was the only white guy on the list and he was the most nerdy he looked Mm. like polo shirt nerdy like there was yeah. nothing remarkable about him he was like medium average height the white guy was the first guy wow. and were these a, girls uh white or there was like mostly white i think there was three white girls and then uh either asian and uh but i mean it, this is something they've looked at if you look at any sort of the data for dating apps everyone's ideal the ones that people respond to most to in terms of messages opened are white people I mean, but then again, white people dominate these apps. Like everyone's ideal partner is a white person, like the Asians wow. in, the, in the... So if you're a white woman or guy, dating apps are great, you know, would work out great. Whereas if you're not, um, you're fighting an uphill battle. And so the, the girls rated these guys. So the white guy was first. There was a black guy on the list, but he was one of the taller guys and I, I put him like at a mid-level and just he was dressed not dweeby but he just looked normal like he was taller than everyone else he was one of the top three tall taller guys so he made sense to be like number three that guy was last wow <laughs> they put him last and the white guy was first and uh i think the next tallest guy was some version of white and I was, it was, it was kind of one of those things like, oh, that had everything to do with perceived social status. That had ever, and race is a big aspect of that. Yeah. But like the white thing cannot be overstated. The racial yeah. element to dating is something that I've had to come to terms with uh, because I've had to realize that being black, like some girls are looking at, like he has to, you have to be so exceptional. Like you have to be so good looking or famous for something. Whereas then you see like average white guy with like a pretty hot girl and you're like, why? He's yeah. not rich. He's not, 
And so there's a relative social standing with the races that doesn't make sense to me because I mean, attractiveness is attractive. Like you're attractive if you're attractive, but it's a real thing. Yeah. That would be really interesting to explore more. Uh, like, I mean, even though I am a white guy, uh, you're a weird white guy. You're not a, you're not your standard issue. white. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I, I like, I experienced like total confusion in terms of like what girls, uh, what they're responding to Mm -hmm. in, in guys like, and I, like, I, I will think like, you know, like kind of like whatever these guys in this thing you're watching, like selecting, oh, this, obviously this would be the guy that, right. or whatever, this would be the feature, this would be whatever. And I like, I'm always fucking wrong. And I'm always like, uh, yeah, just blown away by the choices some people make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Being, and, and so, yeah, I can't, I, like being a white guy, I can't even imagine the, oh, yeah, that, the right <clears throat> racial piece. There's been like a trend on social media like the theme, I don't know if it's a trend or, but I've just been showing up on my feed for some reason. But the female gaze versus the male gaze. Mm. And I find that really interesting because there is certain things that we as men assume that girls want. And then there's actually what girls want. And so a lot of like the weightlifting, get buff stuff is really for other guys. Yeah. Like you'll see like the compliments that guys get when they get buff or get really muscular are from other men but what what girls really want the ideal physique that girls want is this sort of like muscular but lean yeah you know like sort of model-esque athletic you know deal and with some kind of edge like there needs to be and so like when it comes to facial hair for example guys will get these sort of like masculine beards but girls tend to want, want the like shadow stubble look um, and so there's all these different things that uh, what girls respond to versus what guys think that they respond to. It's like, it's almost like you're trying to be impressive to yourself, but it's really only what guys would find impressive. Whereas what girls find impressive, you know, like I find that really interesting. Like yeah, the female yeah. gaze versus the male gaze. Yeah. But like, like I, I think about attraction as just brutal competition. This is nature. Like it's, it's about at the end of the day, even something like race, race is only a thing because of the perceived social hierarchy of these different racial categories. And so girls are choosing white guys because there's more perceived social benefits to being white. Yeah. And, and so it's not, it's not even something to feel bad about. It's just like, I know that, um, I've re- recognized that the context in which that one puts themselves, attractiveness is very heavily influenced by context. So going me in a certain room full of white people, I could like in country bar, for example, I'm invisible, but I've gone to Mexico and like treat it very differently. Like the context in the room that you're in and who's in it determines how attractive you are. And so that's something I've been really focused on. Like it's so social that it's how you meet someone shapes how attractive they yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, like what I was kind of interrupting to like mention was, I think going into how social perceptions or social instincts interfere with sexual selection. Yes. And the yeah, sexual yeah, yeah. instinct. Because I mean. Uh, you know, I think that's what a lot of couples face is they chose each other for social reasons and there's not enough sexual there or whatever, Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. they, you know, they got sexually excited for social reasons. And then I hadn't thought about context, but that's pretty interesting. Um, and I remember before I'd written the book, when I was kind of really considering things and exploring things, I was hanging out with a friend who's social self-prize. And as we were walking, we were just like kind of remarking on things that we notice about like what's attractive. Mm -hmm. And she was very attentive to uh, like clothes. Yeah. And she was like how people wear stuff and how they walk, but like what it says about their like social location and the way their hair is cut and stuff like this. And like that was a mind blower for me because like, yeah, I'll notice clothes, but it's like, how does it 
enhanced energy or you know what i mean like like basically how much how, can i tell your body looks good or not and <laughs> right, you know right right uh and it was really interesting because then i think i like i pressed her to like look at the bodies mm-hmm. and that took her a little bit to like adjust to that lens yeah and i thought that was mind-blowing because you know i like last night we went to a bar alexander and i and mm-hmm. You know, because I work from home, uh, I don't see a lot of people. So then when I'm in public, I i mean, I've always been a people watcher, but I like, right. I really like, I'm like staring at people kind of, <laughs> right, right. you know, it's just like <clears throat> the anthropology of it. And, right, right. um, and you know, like at different bars, there's different crowds, which is interesting. So like Doris, which you've been to, you know, a couple of times, like, you know, it definitely has a flight, like, like people are good looking, but they're not like attractive you know yeah, they're not yeah. they're like they they all seem like uh creative directors at an ad agency or something <laughs> yeah, right. and and so like uh you know it's a fun bar but it's like kind of a weird crowd and like i was noticing uh like who's ta- like what girls are talking about guys and why yeah, yeah yeah and like there were a bunch of guys dressed um I, you probably know this style but they'll like They'll have like almost like an oversized shirt. Yeah. <laughs> usually it's a white guy with an oversized shirt. He's got a lot of tattoos usually. Yeah. He might uh, have a mustache that oh, is God. kind of ironic yeah. or not. I know you exactly. Know? Yeah. I know exactly what and then saying. And then sometimes they have a, a, a hat that's yeah. like, um, it almost looks like the kind of hat you wore to T ball as a little kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got this kind of, uh, it, it has like a childish. <laughs> aesthetic to me you know yeah, it's like yeah. the the, clo- the clothings are loose and baggy like you don't even care how they fit mm-hmm, but it's yeah. all like very much it signals a certain kind like it's kind of, there's a little venn diagram overlap of like skater and creative director and yes. it, it's something that like i see girls talking to these kind of guys all the time and i'm like like you know he's like he's like hunched over he's like skinny but he's got a little belly you know and you're like what is going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like I've always seen how, seen that or whatever. Yeah, like, one, I noticed that uh, once my dread started growing, <clears throat> my dread started growing in, that I recognized that I had now inadvertently positioned myself in a social genre that was trendy at the time. Like, mm. you know, a lot of rappers, um, I think the weekend had dreads. And so I had a couple people who were like, Oh, you look like the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so that was like an immediately I mean, I, I'd get attention at bars even without the hair, but this was like a social hook. Yeah. And so that that girl that I thought was a sexual three who turned out to be social six, like she was really hooked into me being sort of like a Basquiat. Mm-hmm. You know sort mm-hmm. of so she'd attached a social an attractive social archetype to me and yeah i find that so interesting like the fashion thing is very social because it's <clears throat> people are ba- basically putting on social costumes and, and it's like when something becomes trendy and then people just dress that way uh because it it will get them attention and a lot of people make their sexual decisions just based on the social genre that you represent and so I've noticed that ever since we started the podcast, it's almost like we created our own context. Mm. And that's why I'm just like, I, I mean, there's multiple reasons why I don't use dating apps because I mean, I'm just not going to put myself in a losing position. <laughs> that's a losing <laughs> position for me. But like someone, if you're an attachment type, like OD, who's a social sexual six, Bermuda, like he, people just like him. So there's no experiential blindness and where he fits in the social playing field, like people understand, okay, creative guy, friendly. But when you're like a hexad type who's social blind, who's not playing any of these social, uh, playing to any of these social genres, people don't know where to place you. You're not signaling any sort of status that places you in a respectable position. So you're just, they're just noticing, oh, you're hot, you're sexy but you're not signaling anything that they find attractive. And so with this group, for example, we've created a context um, where around our personalities, where we're at the center of it. And so within this context, I'm socially attractive. 
not just sexually mm-hmm. attractive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one thing I've come to realize is the context is everything. Like, okay, if you go to another country, for example, as an American, you have an exotic, you know, uh, so, uh, social archetype that makes you attractive there. Like my experience, and like I started going out in Mexico, so that my experience there compared to here was like night and day. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just because I was uh, a black American in that country, which is associated with money, you do have more money than other guys, uh, and so I got to experience what it was like to be a white guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know like in, in mexico and then you come back here and it's like oh yeah uh you know lewis yeah mm-hmm. you know he we we do sessions and stuff and so he was in new york and so i did it in person breathwork with him oh nice and it was cool like he's cool in person and uh i know he does like all this fashion stuff so i was just talking to him about his clothes and stuff and he said something to me about like uh I made some comments about like how I I like just I I don't think very much about what I wear like mm-hmm. I I'm like a black pants and some kind of black shirt I like a tank top or button up shirt and like I like leather jackets and then he said something to me that was like oh yeah you kind of go for this like effortless masculine look and <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. and I was like yeah categorizing it <laughs> yeah categorize it in a way I've never even never thought of. And that's and correct. That's actually accurate too. Like that it was, is what you go for. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't even, you know, I didn't know that. Like I didn't consciously. I was just like, oh, I like this. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I feel like kind of silly if uh, something looks a little too like froofy or mm-hmm. like feminine or something. Um, but that was, I don't know. That was like a little light bulb moment of just like, like, oh, this is a social lens, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. I, I just thought that was really interesting. It was just such a small phrase, but he just mm-hmm. nailed it really fast. And it was just like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess that is what this is, you know? Like, yeah, I've been I've been trying to. Uh, I've asked like Joseph, like to sort of like give me your like social impression of me, because I just notice people with social doing this across the board, or like even just saying like, what type of girl or guy do you like? Cause there are these social categories that people mm-hmm. slot themselves into. And so I was like, I don't have a neat category. I mean, but the, the thing is, if yeah. I force myself to look at the people that I've been attracted to, those categories are there. Uh, maybe there's like three or four genres that re, re are reoccurring or whatever, but it's like, you know, are you doing that for yourself? And, and I've asked Joseph, like, where would you, from your impression of me, if you didn't know me, like, what are some of the social impressions you'd have? And he's like, oh, like you, you're, you know, you're a black artist guy who has some kind of like masculine, feminine interplay mm-hmm. energetically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, yeah, that seems, that seems right. Like, I mean, most people that don't know me assume that I'm involved in the arts of some kind. I remember like the worst, the, the most egregious one was some guy who didn't know me asked me like what music label i was working with or something like that interesting yeah so people immediately assume i mean because because we know artists i don't think i'm that weird but to most normal most people are just incredibly you know fucking lame and normal like you see i seem like a wild person or a weird super weird person maybe i'm just not seeing how weird i am but um yeah i most people assume that i'm an artist and and or people assume that if they are inviting me to something that they need to include that there will be art involved or there's a gallery close yeah. by, you know, because yeah. they assume that I require that. <laughs> I do like uh, I do like how your hair has become this sort of, <laughs> this whole sloof now. Like, yeah, it was getting kind of like crazy out here. Yeah. 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 I, yeah now that it's kind of closer to your face, it, looks, <laughs> it like frames your face much better. Yeah. Before. I mean, this thing is just let's just see what the fuck my hair does and we'll, uh, we'll roll with it. It's just I'm discovering what the fuck is going on. <laughs> but I remember at some New Year's Eve party, some girl just like was staring at me and she just like, I just. I just really like how much you don't give a fuck. Like, I just want to not give a fuck as much as you, your hair. Like, you just don't care so much. And I'm it's just, I'm poor. That's what that is. That's poverty. <laughs> yeah, right, That's your exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I won't buy a shirt for more than $30. <laughs> it's like, you have a job. I don't have one. <laughs> that's, that's, this is a... Over a decade of just not being employed, okay? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can experience this level of not giving a fuck when you don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it does feel, oh man, I'm so deficient, you know, in yeah. this sort of way of looking at things. It almost feels like, man, it's all social because even sexual appeal has like a social of somebody's good looking or attractive it's uh in most people's mind is it's converted into some kind of social value and so it feels like oh man i'm just so behind the eight ball in terms of signaling that i'm someone worth respecting yeah <laughs> you know to me it just seems silly because at the end of the day it's like you need practical needs and you need fucking you know sexual attractiveness or chemistry but like a huge part of the game is just the social perception of where yeah, you're located. I mean, one of the things of, you know, being with Alexandra and her working through her sexual blindness and stuff like this is I always had the assumption that people just went for who they're attracted to, Mm-mm. you know. <laughs> but there's actually a whole lot of fear and about who one is actually attracted to. Yeah. That like that people often don't go for who they're actually attracted to because there's fear, intimidation, things of the unknown, all this kind of stuff. Uh, this might be changing the topic a little bit, but um, something I was thinking about with this thing that you, my idea that you showed me again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with these polarities. Um, I think when we feel like really safe, mm. those polarities dissolve. Oh, okay. I you see. know, because yeah. in a sense, like like looking at self-prez and getting kind of like survivalist versus sensual. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sensual seems like it's it's relaxing, but it's like I need holding all the time. Yeah. And so like when you can kind of uh, like somebody who's on the sensual side of self-prez, when they can f- relax, they don't need so much holding and they can kind of express their independent capacities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Somebody who like, I mean, because I mean, now in, in this relationship, uh, I am very melty and fusy and I like linger and I'm really, you know, I'm not just like <laughs> wham, bam, you know, right, whatever. Right, right. It's like, yeah, yeah. I'm really there. And I, I, I like, like you were saying like, oh yeah, I can't be involved in all this stuff. And I used to identify that way. Right. And now I'm like, uh, all creamed out and <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, and it's, it's crazy because, you know, in Alexandra's language of astrology, she's always pointing to all my second house, blah, 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 which is all very sensual and stuff. Yeah. And all these other features on my chart. And just in my own experience, it's like, I just feel like there's a certain way that in past relationships, I was like a really narrow, like something narrow hole, narrow object or something. Mm-hmm. And now that I don't feel, you know, now that there's more safety and there's more appreciation and there's more whatever and there's more traction, all these other things, it's like I just, I've become this like melty bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so then, yeah, like I mean, Alexandra, like with this social di- dynamic too, of like some some socials are very warm and interpersonal. Mm-hmm. Their optimal distance is close, and some yeah. are more remote and impersonal, very hierarchical, elitist. You know, she was, she was, you know, by her own reporting, like has this distance thing and is kind of that aloof, like can't touch me, social self prize thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as we were saying before, she's just like love monster, you know, just like <laughs> needs connection and involvement. And I mean, we'll just, um, we're just next to each other on the couch and she needs to like be right here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's very cute, but it's like, it's, it's like, so she used to not feel safe. So right. she can come out. And so um, I think that in a really safe relation, like, so there's like ways it gets constellated. And there's to your point earlier about like, okay, maybe you and your ex had a certain doorway of engaging self-prez. Maybe that's right. how it showed up. But, you know, I don't know. I'm going off, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's interesting um, how a different relationship, depending on the safety and how seen you feel, what qualities that might bring out. Because, I mean, you know, like, I realized that what I was doing was I was having one night stands, but I was, I was, you know, having fucking in a one night stand situation as if this is the last fuck I'll ever have. And this is the love of my life. You know, like, it's almost like this is, you feel safe because it's a stranger. And then it's all this 
pent up intimacy and love gets unleashed on this person, and they're like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I realized that that was what I was you know, in hindsight. That's what I was doing. Um, but because in a way, it did feel safe because it's like I don't know this person. There's no, you know, so just let loose. And sometimes when you don't think that there's any hope of anything happening is when you're the most open. Yeah. When yeah. something does happen. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate because you've, you've uh, brought up this kind of this idea a couple times, you know, it's just, a good one. It's a really good one. Yeah. It's making me <laughs> want to go back because I'm working on, I've been working on this, like I, I let, I put it aside for a while, but working on kind of like an overview of the Enneagram, like just, right. just an overview kind of, all in one place and what I think are, you know, the m- most interesting and meaningful parts of it and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. kind of like, kind of like a book that's like, all right, there's so much dirt and shit. Like, this is where I think you should look at. And this is what I think you should ignore. And so like a replacement for the, uh, it's like um, wisdom of the Enneagram, yeah, wisdom but of the Enneagram a little bit more like boom, 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 you know, and mm-hmm. a little bit more like, here's like, here's the, here's the overall thing. Right. Now, now that like we have, We've got the Enneagram to a certain degree. Let's mm-hmm. move on to more interesting stuff instead of like yoga for babies or Enneagram <laughs> for babies or whatever. Right, you know? right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, this, but I, I do feel like there was a lot of interesting instinct stuff that I didn't even get to put in the book. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of been a little, uh, I, I got burned out with the instincts in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this what could, was that, like six be, years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, and it's also just I, there's there's the burned out. There's it's it's not just a long time, but it's also kind of like, you know, people who've read my book or listened to this really get the instincts, but mm-hmm. outside of it, people are still kind of like, no, it's the passion instinct, or <laughs> right. And it's there's a little bit like God, like what do you uh, gotta do to to you know for get people to see things? Yeah, like I mean. You know, I can explain like, well, it's called sexual and there is obviously a big influence of sexuality and human personality. So therefore, or it follows that there's something that there's, there's sexual instinct rooted in sexuality that we ought to pay attention to. And maybe these things we've been calling sexual are actually belong to social instincts, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's just like people, I mean, people stick with the first way they learn something. Mm-hmm. And I think that they like. I guess it's just like not wanting to feel wrong, or not wanting to feel that the resource that they feel loyalty to was wrong, or something like this. Or mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but it's just a, a mental rigidity. Yeah, I one of the, one of the things that we've I've been thinking about the last few months is just the concept of experiential blindness. That mm. maybe a criticism of our group is that we're kind of throwing people into the deep end conceptually. And, you know, someone like Josh is very aware that people have to be brought along from step one before they can even do the deep, heavy stuff. And I was thinking even about like something like typing that Enneagram typing, at least the way we do it, that there is a, you know, that there is an initial hump of experiential blindness that, that, people have to overcome to even know that this is even a real thing that can happen. Yes. Yeah. So one of the, one of the unintended um, benefits of doing DAA is that I've noticed that none of the shit storms happen in the group anymore because people are getting to watch us sort of go through the process of doing these typings. And so they're getting to see how it's done. And mm-hmm. that alone is sort of getting people to see, oh, this is a real thing. And these guys know what they're, know how to do it. So let me just mm-hmm. pay them to do it because they kind of got into first base of like, oh, I see that these types are real mm-hmm. and I see how to observe them, which now they're not necessarily questioning if, if typing is even a thing or our, our ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, experiential blindness is something I've been, I mean, it's just the concept of like when something new comes around, like a new genre, like a uh, hip hop, when it first came around, like people didn't think it was music. And right, so there's right. like an experiential blindness for something like that. And one of the producers figured out that if they took run DMC and they paired it with, I forget, was it like run this way, come this way? That oh, they, um, I forget the name of the yeah. band. But you know that they, they they put rap on that song and it became a huge billboard hit 
and it sort of introduced the general public to, to rap and to hip hop. And eventually a genre becomes standard, but it doesn't start out that way. And so any, it's like, you have to give like attachment types, like a landscape to attach to of precedents. <laughs> Yeah, yeah build on precedence and then it becomes adopted and 10 20 years goes by and then becomes the thing that everyone innately attaches to and so i've been just thinking about how um yeah we've kind of like laid the groundwork for the enneagram but kind of what we have to do now is sort of like bring people along in terms of different stages of awareness to overcome experiential blindness for yeah. over a period of time because it doesn't happen overnight all right well i'm pretty <laughs> tired all right um I'm sure yeah. there's, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff here. It's not very coherent, but I'll I'll definitely fucking find a couple episodes out of this. Cool. <laughs> All right, man. Nice. Well, All right, man. I will talk to you later. All right.